our reading. That might have been on, you've, you've been doing some reading. Let's begin. Poetry night rings through. I want you guys to welcome Sandra Markland. Okay, this it seems like it's the right height. Is that right? Okay, I don't even have to use the lessons. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Dobby didn't tell you that he was the one who ran the home listening parties. So he has been a, I call him an uh, impresario for many, many, many years in many different places and bookstores and homes and all. When I first heard about the Ken Warfell Prize, I thought of Dobby right away because he has done a great service. I'm glad to know that he's up here in Bellingham doing this. Okay. Um, so the first poem that I'm going to read to you is written about the trip on the Greyhound bus from here down to Seattle, but the actual destination is Vashon Island, which is where my parents' home was. And Dobby already told you that I went to Fairhaven College back in the almost the beginning. It was like the sec- we were like the second full-size class. So Bellingham has great associations for me. In fact, I've probably had more dreams set in Bellingham, I mean, actual dreams, you know, than any other place. So I just love Bellingham. So the first one is from, this first one is the from Traveler's Journal, which is uh, the name of the particular volume from the buses that ride around, the poems that ride around in buses. And my sister-in-law called me up couple of days after the book, the poems went up and said, I got on my bus to go to work, and there was your poem. <laughs> it was really exciting to think about that. Okay, so it's called Greyhound Window South. Like mile-long spiderweb, telephone lines drape from pole to pole so old they are almost grown into trees. These soft lines gleam glazed by the oncoming beams of the one-by-one trucks and silent cars who light this country road. Hills rise, giants, hills rise, silent giants in our headlamp's aura out of the deep-breathing black. In graceful arc between farms, horses graze the meadow of the dark, sheep, blackberries sleep in the black-draped fields, in the trees are owls. Memory is a spider weaving. It is night. Our light travels down the dimpled road. Somewhere in this grass-swept dark is home. Okay, now, Dobby asked me to do this, and of course I said yes. And then later on he said, okay, I really want you to read this poem. So this is the requested poem. This is really why it got me up here. The title of this poem is A Poem to All Male Poets. Oh, and this is the one that was nominated for the pushcart. All you poets, you should have a hundred children. You should hold a hundred dollars at all times in each fist. 
You should have truffle soup fed into your lips with ritual spoons. You should have bread baked in your likenesses, left on your pillows in cashmere napkins. You should have ribbons woven into your hair, your beards. You should be bathed in cinnamon and attar of roses. You should sleep on the stomachs of good women for pillows. You should be seated under living trees in nests of alpaca down. You should have rivers named for your name. You should, each of you, be the richest man in town, poets. For you have words. For you have words, which is what women want, what women crave, what women die without, even the women who love their husbands. You have words for them, women. Oh, poets, you should have $100 in your two fists because the tongue-bound will pay anything to get those words, pay anything to borrow your myriad brides because you have what women want, because women are what men want, what men crave, what men die without. You should be the richest men in every town, poet boys, because you have what women want, you have words for them. So the the next two I call my NPR poems, meaning not that they were read on NPR, but that they came from something that I heard on NPR. And this is from the latest of the little books that my husband helps me, well, he makes them, I make what's in the books, and he makes the books. Let's put it that way. And the title of this volume is Echolocation, and that is the title of this particular poem. And I will tell you in the poem what it's about, but the it was really fun when we looked up echolocation. It's everything from the blind person tapping with the cane to, oh, God, now I've forgotten all the other things. But there's... Yeah, but there's way more than you would ever think. But association for me is the bats, and this was a a radio story with sound effects that I heard on NPR. Echolocation is itself a most poetic word. What two bats do, mapping that aeolian world, that nocturne on leather wings. On the radio, The precious recording I get to hear this night sounds like the most fat rain hitting down one by one, but the meter, the rhythm, is a tap dance, literal, what a tap dance on the radio did sound like, traversing the airwaves, once then, once now. Echolocation, echolocution, tactile telegraph tap dance. Who would have thought that from bats? And this one is from another thing that I heard about on NPR. Um, And I'm just going to read you the little note because it's boiled down. In Florida, scientists were brought in to investigate how alligators found their way back to the very swimming pools they had been trapped and removed from months and miles away. Okay. So there were two. So the other thing I need to tell you is there were two ideas with this 
the scientists didn't come up with one answer about how they could do it. There were two different camps in this. Um, the first being um, magnetic fields in the Earth. The second one you'll get. Okay. Navigators. Some say magnets. Some say stars. Inside that palace of teeth is how they say alligators voyage, point, and seek home. Ergo, that desirable hide hides brains, better readers of maps than I. I would have thought the lidded pebbles saw only food, mud, mate, a place to glide, gauged only speed and feed, mentated only menace, looked only down or deadly ahead. Instead, if the star's camp wins the bet, alligators work celestial navigation. Alligators are navigators. Maybe they look up to the star swamp, alligators. Maybe they wait for the tiny shine of sky flight to descend, alligators reflect on their rippled mirrors. Now, this is a bonus poem for Dobby. I didn't write it for Dobby, but I don't know if you know that he is a trained, now, do I say this right, hematologist? Is that right? The bl- somebody who knows how to draw your blood? and What did I say? What did I say? What's, what's the right word? You're talking about the person who studies blood. Oh, okay. So what is it, your, your, the word? Phlebotomy. Phlebotomist. Ah. Anyway, he does that. He knows how to do that. Okay. Okay. So that's in, so since you're, I thought I should read this poem while you're here, but this is about my own blood drawer, I'm going to say. And, um, there's all kinds of references in here to the Arabian Nights, the proper name of which is the Thousand and One Nights. And just in case, I want to remind you that the way the story goes, which turns out is an ancient Persian story that precedes um, the time of the Arabian Nights, so they borrowed this story. There is a heroine named Scheherazade or Scheherazade or something like that. Um, there's a king who has been driven mad, and he proceeds to marry a long series of brides, and he kills each one on her wedding night. So Scheherazade volunteers to marry him because she believes she can heal him through stories, which she does. What we all remember is that she stops each story before the night is over, thus preventing him from killing her until, at last, he is healed. So that's the background and the Arabian Nights, which is one of the very oldest story tales that people are still reading today. And it's about the woman who drew my blood at the doctor's. It's called Blood and Stories. I wanted to tell you about the thousand and one nights, about the woman who told stories in the dark, about the blade at her beautiful throat full of words. I wanted to tell you one of her stories to ward off death at dawn and the stripe of blood her mad husband menaced. I wanted to ask you, did you know? But this blood was in vials all before me, purple with iron, their tiny writing not tales but names. And your quill you wielded with such skill I felt no pain. 
Into your glass my blood drained as silent as the room or a thief in the treasure vault of a wazir. I wanted to tell you I can read your name written across your heart, Wazda. Your name is beautiful, Wazda. I wanted to say aloud, your eyes, your hair are night glory, like a line from Scheherazade's story. I wanted to ask, are you veilless because you are a scientist? I wanted to ask, did your family tell you the tale of the Queen of the Serpents? Are they sorry you are here in the land of rain, capturing in bottles not gene, but life from veins? Or are they proud of this, their daughter of what once must have been the desert, fair and fierce? But I asked no questions, Wazda. But I said no praise to you. But I told no stories until now. I should have said, told you that D-J-I-N-N is pronounced gene, which is where we get genie, magical beings. Okay, so here's a, a fall poem, although starts the phenomenon starts earlier. Leaves come in my house. They love my kitchen floor, hitched to shoes, on winds, stowaway in hems. Leaves come in my house, green as insects, brown as bark, serrate, heart-shaped, stippled, wine-stained or plain, wet, dry, sly. When celery leaf descends, a tiny green or basil flutters, parachutes from food to floor. They bow and greet, wild rustics to tamed cultivars, dance a little in the preprandial draft before the great hand swoops or Cousin Straw sweeps them out once again. Here's a teeny-weeny poem, also fall, and it actually says October. I loved whoever it was tonight who said, it's the sixth of Halloween. That <laughs> was great. <laughs> you see, I think so too. Okay, this is, right. <laughs> it's the only month you can wear orange and black and nobody says something. <laughs> okay, this is uh, called Glade. October trees shake their gaudy bracelets in a wind a crow rides through. Black and loud gold. Yeah. And still in the fall, this is Pomona. This is the one that was on the site. I happened to run into, a couple years ago, I happened to run into the fact that Pomona was the goddess of fruit trees, and that's all it took. Pomona, goddess of fruit trees, your perfumed breath is what the blooming apples give. Seductress of insects, nothing is only for beauty in your sex. These enchanters of blossom, pear and cherry, peach and apple, lime and orange, their flowers magic away to a nib, a knob that balls to fruit. Who is as voluptuous as you? None, none. Goddess of cherries, your lips shine of their stain. Your limbs are the wood that bears the spiraled branch. 
You are in all the world's mouth, the squirt of orange, the snap of bite of apple snow. You are queened purple in plum juice. What flesh you bear, what splendor of spectrum flesh you wear. So I just can hardly do a reading without throwing in some moon poems. So this is one of the ones I brought tonight. Uh, And this, you might know already that Luna, which of course is where we get lunatic and loony and all that stuff, lunacy, is a Roman moon goddess. So this is Luna. The moon is a jazz song and her name is Luna, a cry some saxophones make in several bars. Luna, Luna, Luna. The moon comes to the city, she shines back light. The stars of the windows of those tall buildings in the dark shine back light on those nights. Luna lives by herself, has for a long time. She's got it like she likes it. That woman, she changes all the time, goes on the lamb, skips the scene, scrams, regular but everyone wants her for a lover. There are those somehow one with the moon, awake when she is awake. There are those who live by the moon more than day. They watch her phases like their dawns, whose day is night. She wants them. She shines on them. She shines on them her lunar rays. Luna is her name, is what they write on white paper in her lunacy, her yin rain of the night. And the moon, the moon is what they call her with a truck at night, that blue note ascending. The moon loves the road, likes those bright white lines. You can see her chasing cars if you look. The moon is a mood, mood, mood. The moon is a mind woman, a drug. She works her works from a rock in the sky that floats like a dream. Who but herself should she seem? Luna. Luna gets under your skin. She just wants to touch everything. She puts her light into the dark all the way. The moon is a mind woman, and Luna is her name. She goes to nightclubs in décolletage, in spangles, or in black. She hums a few bars. When she is full, you can see her chase cars. There's a little bit of the moon in this one. Oh, to be in a boat. Oh, to be in a boat in the night. Oh, to be in a boat in the night. Oh, to be strong. Oh, to stand in the moon. Oh, to be young. Oh, to be young and to drive with one oar. Oh, to be in the road of the moon. Oh, to stand on a boat and pull with one oar down the road of the moon. All of you poets, I'm sure, know this thing where there's just some poems that you've written that you just really like them. (laughs) And this is the one I really like. There, uh, this is from a, one of these little books, and there's an earlier poem in this, in this volume that's very explicitly about Persephone, 
who, as you probably know, um, is married to the king of the underworld, who's not a devil in any way, but she has to go and live with him half the year in the underworld where he's the king and she's the queen. And the other half, she's up on earth with her mother, who is Ceres. I always call her Serial Mom. And half the time she's with her mother and half the time she's with Hades because of the bargain that was made because when she went under the earth full-time, the whole earth shut down because her mother just couldn't stand it. So she bargained to get this half-and-half thing. So there's just peripheral um, references to her in this, but that's who I'm talking about. But it's called, and it's about the flower, the poppy. The color at the core of fire made like waves to cup the pod, a glow rocketing day, twilight like a power poppy. In the cup, a nut of purple, nutshell of storm sky, wine, heart's blood, Rex purple shell with a crown, regal in the silk, come look into the fire, see me purple, admire. But the king is a queen, even she, poppy, has not seen inside the host she holds, waiting to rattle stars across dirt's dark sky, purple poppy, orange purple poppy. All the glory is the author of the in-to-be-out purple, out orange, hard eye looking in-to-out all poppy, and always a poppy. They say she ate a pomegranate. No, seeds of pomegranate, there in the dark Persephone. Six, three, as many as you have seasons not in bloom. There were seeds. There was color of wine. There was rumor of blood-beating time. I think the poppy would do just fine. And you cannot say it did not know the dark, the smell, the hot or cold, the color of the dark. That kingdom of the underworld is the husband's great embrace that makes the poppies out of itself, itself. Out of itself, itself. The seeds escape, the pod breaks. I think his queen, soft as fire flower, mouthful of seeds, downing the cup, wine sets her, scents her breath dream, between life and death between I think his queen, she looked like a poppy, cheeks of orange petal, fringed eye of purple with its pod of black, seeing the multiplicating under the hard crown. Here, give her in spring that green velvet gown and let her burst the earth out of herself, biting down on the eternity seeds. She tastes blood to give birth. So two more. This one is not about the moon as usual. This is about moonlight. But to follow it, you need to think for a minute about how fast the moon moves. Like if I'm home and my husband says, oh, the moon's out, and I say, okay, I'm going to finish whatever, you know, doing the dishes or something, and then you go out, First of all, you can't find it because it's not where it was. And if you wait too long, it's gone. So that's what's behind this one. One thing about moonlight. Open your eyes anywhere. You know when you are. When it is gone, it is over, moonlight. 
When it is on, it is on the move, moon. Even while you can see it, moonlight is a when you can put your hand through. Moonlight is a coat. Moonlight is a tongue. Moonlight is an all is touched. Moonlight is stone. Moonlight is paper wrapped stone. Moonlight is a path. Moonlight is a well whole halves of the world are dipped in. Moonlight is the ectoplasm hands of... Moon is a long clock. Moonlight is a cloak of visibility. Moonlight is a spill and an until. Okay. The last. And that's when we get water and the moon. Called Between. We knew there was something between water and the moon. One of those dances that requires one to walk backward, one to stalk forward if the two hear music. But see here, another feat. No matter how many times it is captured, the moon is intact, gazing it seems serene from the moving or unmoving waters, replicated in infinite but never split. Bring as many drinking cups as you like, lakes, wells, the smallest part of water to one drop, even our seven seas. It does not matter how many times she is to be divided. Each moon is the moon. Back to your regularly scheduled poetry meeting. Poetry night. Good. Uh, one, two, three. Mm, mm. 